We have been reviewing the basic considerations of God's moral nature before concluding our study of the moral attributes of God under the question, what do we know about the faithfulness of God from the Bible? The Bible abundantly proves that the triune members of the Godhead possess the attributes of personality. This qualifies them for moral action and the establishment of moral character. They also are in possession of a perfect comprehension of what is right conduct in every situation. The profound simplicity of God's moral character is declared in the words, God is love, by which it is intended that the Godhead continually choose to be perfectly benevolent and impartial, and that nothing is done through selfishness or self-assertiveness. This voluntary disposition of love is the whole of moral character. All other moral qualities are an outflow from this abiding choice of the highest well-being of all moral beings, both God and his creatures. In the sixth place we may remark that the Bible very frequently declares the loving disposition of the three members of the Godhead and describes this state as a state of holiness. We will just review a very few of the many passages that have been considered. In the 17th chapter of John, verses 24 and 25, we read, Our Lord Jesus is praying, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me, where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. So here we see that the disposition of love has always existed between the members of the Trinity. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, we have a great declaration of the loving disposition of God the Father as the source of all true love that is manifested in the world. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Thus we see that God the Father is set forth as the source of all love. In 2 Corinthians 13:11, we have the Father being called the God of love and peace. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, we have this expression, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the great manifestation of the love of God has been the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. But in John 15 and verses 12 and 13, we also read concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and his profound love in laying down his life for the sins of the whole world. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So the Lord Jesus manifests the overpowering presence of love in his sacrificial death in the 10th chapter of John, 
verses 17 and 18. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So again, the Lord Jesus asserts his own voluntary suffering for the sins of the whole world. And this was the great manifestation of the love that weighed down his heart for the whole needs of men. In Romans 15.30, we have the words, the love of the Spirit, indicating that the Holy Spirit also has a voluntary disposition of love. In Romans 5 and verse 5, we have the wonderful office of the Holy Spirit in this glorious age of grace, whereby we read these words, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. So the Holy Spirit is the imparter of love within the heart of the Christian. In Galatians 5.22, we read about the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that works within us toward our living a similar life of love. Thus all the members of the Holy Trinity, therefore, are conducting all their activities in a perfect disposition of love. But the Bible ascribes perfect holiness to God, as in the words of Revelation 4.8, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. What do we mean when we ascribe holiness to God? Is it a separate attribute from that of love, or is it related to the essential attribute of love? We have seen that love is a continuous voluntary disposition to conduct life with impartiality or unselfishness. Is holiness some sort of fixity back of this disposition? Or does the word describe the worthiness of this abiding disposition of love? The primary idea of the basic Hebrew word translated holy in the Old Testament appears to be that of cutting off or separation. It is used to describe character or moral action. We read in Leviticus 11.44, be ye holy, for I am holy. This describes the moral life of God, which man is to imitate. The worship of the tabernacle and the offering system that was instituted was called holy because it related to God who is holy. Thus holiness is a descriptive term of the moral character and conduct that is pure and above all blame. The New Testament word rendered holy and its variations is similarly used. The moral or virtuous aspect of holiness is given prominence. It is applied to God the Father, as in John 17:11, where the Lord Jesus addresses the Father as Holy Father. Reference has been made to Revelation 4:8, where we have the threefold declaration of holiness ascribed to God the Father. Concerning the Lord Jesus, evil spirits are reported to have dressed him as the Holy One of God. In Mark 1.24, the early church leaders referred to the Lord Jesus as the Holy One 
and the just in Acts 3.14. The word is constantly used of the Holy Spirit embodying his very name, which is commonly used. He is called the Spirit of Holiness in Romans 1.4. Thus we see that holiness is ascribed to all three members of the Trinity. The Christians are frequently called saints or holy ones as a result of the transforming grace of God. Thus when the word holy is applied to God, it properly means worthy of veneration or reverend. God is thus to be adored because of voluntary devotion to virtue or benevolence toward all moral beings. Very frequently in the Bible, the word holy is applied to God in a manner that implies that holiness is a right activity rather than some sort of fixed quality of personality. It implies right moral action. For example, in Leviticus 11.45, we read, Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And several other times this structure occurs. In Deuteronomy 26.15, we have the admonition, Look down from thy holy habitation from heaven. In Hosea 11.9, God referred to himself as the Holy One in the midst of thee, speaking to the nation Israel. In Exodus 15.11, we read, Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness? This certainly has the force of moral character. In Psalm 60, verse 6, God has spoken in his holiness, we read. The same word holy that is applied to God is also applied to man, conveying the idea that obedience to God in a state of unselfish devotion is the essence of holiness. In Exodus 22:31, we read, And ye shall be holy men unto me, Certainly this implies activity. In Deuteronomy 7, 6 we read, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Then in verse 11 we see that this holiness was to consist in their keeping the commandments and the statutes and the judgments, which I command thee this day to do them. In Romans 6, 19 we are told to yield our members as servants to righteousness, unto holiness. So holiness is an estate of achieved righteousness by the grace of God. Also in the 22nd verse, we are to sincerely serve God as we have our fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So here holiness is an accomplishment by the grace of God. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 we read, for God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Holiness is definitely a pathway of virtue. In Hebrews 12:14 we read, Peace keep on continually pursuing with all, and the holiness or sanctification apart from which no one shall see the Lord. A literal rendering. Here holiness is an attitude of heart and life that must be continually maintained. Certainly these usages of the word holy and holiness plainly indicate that a moral conduct is what is referred to rather than some sort of a fixed thing 
back of our wills. Since the same words are used pertaining to God and man without any suggestions that different meanings are intended, we are justified in considering these passages a proof that holiness in God must also constitute an action rather than some sort of permanent fixity. Thus we see that holiness in God is a dynamic state of being, not a static something in the nature of God. Holiness is a descriptive term of the character of God, which is established by right moral action. God is love, or God voluntarily chooses to conform his life to the perfect impartial standard of his great intelligence. This voluntary disposition pervades all that God does. Therefore, all of God's actions are absolutely perfect, and because they are so, God is said to be holy or worthy of veneration. In him is no darkness at all, we read, no necessity to cover up any of his activities. Holiness is not, therefore, a separate moral attribute of God, but is a description of a perfect life of love, a voluntary choice of benevolence. Holiness is therefore an attribute of love. God is holy because he abides in a perfect state of love, but God's virtuous choice of love is the whole of moral character. Our Heavenly Father, accept thanks for these revelations of thy inner heart, and we pray that all may respond to thy truth, may repent of sin, through faith in the death of Jesus, be reconciled and forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.